Our gospel reading is from Luke chapter 1. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant, Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought the powerful down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. This is the gospel of our Lord. Any kids who would like to come forward for the children's time are invited to do that now. Come on up, Claire. How's it going? Yeah. Come on over. If you exist in the particular corner of the internet that I do, you may have seen some memes over the past few years, both around this text that we just read and the text that tells of Jesus' resurrection, about believing women. But I'm guessing that a lot of your news feeds aren't filled with young clergy, especially women and LGBTQIA plus clergy, like mine is, so I'll fill you in. These are two parallel stories of women who both happen to be named Mary. This one that we're talking about today is Mary, Jesus' mother, preparing for his birth, and the other is Mary Magdalene, who found Jesus' empty tomb and then met the resurrected Jesus there. And when these two Marys tell their stories, it is hard for men in power to believe them. In the case of Mary Magdalene, the men she told, Jesus' closest disciples, didn't believe her until they had seen the empty tomb or met the resurrected Jesus themselves. And this Mary had to contend with Joseph, who was resolved to break up with her until an angel told him not to. And the objections these Marys have faced is not only from these men in their own contexts in the text itself, 
but also the men who have interpreted these stories throughout history, who have continually discounted and de-emphasized their stories. And so when young women and LGBTQIA plus people create memes and tweets and think pieces about these stories and pass them around the internet, it's because we find solidarity in them. We read of these women who loved Jesus, his mother and one of his closest friends, and remind ourselves that they were preaching and prophesying and proclaiming to people who also knew and loved Jesus, and even they had trouble being taken seriously. So when we have trouble being taken seriously by the power brokers of the church, we take comfort in their stories. And this text, Mary's song that we call the Magnificat, is particularly powerful because her only audience is Elizabeth, who is yet another woman who is underestimated by her societal context. Elizabeth has been labeled barren, and even when an angel told her husband Zechariah that she would become pregnant, he simply could not believe it. But despite the skepticism of Zechariah and Joseph and probably many others in Mary and Elizabeth's families and communities, these two women have each other. They have this moment where they share, just the two of them, a special understanding of what God is up to. This visit between Mary and Elizabeth, as Luke records it, occurs immediately after Gabriel tells Mary that she will have a baby. Mary gives her consent for this role that God has asked her to fill, willing and able to be the one who will carry God inside her own body. But she is also confused, asking Gabriel, how can this be? And so, although the text doesn't, doesn't explicitly explain this, we might imagine that she went with haste to visit Elizabeth, because Elizabeth was a person who she expected could comfort her, could reassure her, could help her find peace in this wild adventure that God has asked her to go on. After all, Elizabeth is an older relative, someone who has more life experience and probably more wisdom, but who has also found herself in an unexpected situation that is not dissimilar from Mary's. Perhaps Mary is hoping that Elizabeth will offer some perspective for how to deal with this new reality they're both facing. In a time when Mary probably doesn't have many people sticking up for her, she expects that Elizabeth will have her back. And she does. Elizabeth greets Mary so enthusiastically and so tenderly. Blessed are you. Before Mary says a word, Elizabeth embraces her and Mary knows that she is safe. And it is in this context, this comfort, this safety, that she proclaims God's revolutionary activity. It is with Elizabeth's warm welcome, with Elizabeth's blessing, that Mary becomes a prophet. Elizabeth did not need Mary to explain herself. She already knew and understood and believed. And this gave Mary permission to believe, too. I did not meet a woman pastor until I was an adult. Some of you probably remember when Lutheran churches didn't ordain women at all. 
And although plenty have come before me, I didn't personally have their example to follow. The women, the women pastors I've met in recent years have made all the difference in my life. For several years, I was the summer program director at Caroline Furness Lutheran Camp in Virginia. And there was a pastor named Brett who lived and served nearby, who had been the program director about 10 years previously. So she understood the sorts of challenges I was facing, but she was outside the camp bubble enough to have a bit of perspective. She took me under her wing, she prayed with and for me, and she offered herself as a mentor for me, especially during my last summer there, when everything in my life, which was mostly unrelated to camp, felt like it was crashing down around me. At one point that summer, I called her early in the morning absolutely panicked because I simply could not cope with the situation I was facing. She listened to me cry, and then she took a deep breath, and she said, Kathleen, it sounds like you've already made a decision. Now give yourself permission to make that decision. That's how I hear Elizabeth's greeting. Mary, you've already agreed to this. It is already happening. You know what you want. Now give yourself permission to want it. Just as the details of Brett's and my stories are different, Elizabeth's situation was different than Mary's. And deep in her soul, Mary does trust the decision she's already made. But it's a hard reality to face, and she needs reassurance. And there were enough points of connection, enough shared challenges and experiences that Mary knew Elizabeth was the person to go to, to seek support from. She knew she would have her own experience, her own journey, but she also knew that she was not alone in it. I am sure I would not be the person I am today without Brett's support, and I would certainly not be in seminary if that lack of representation from early in my life had continued to be a theme. But even those of you who are used to hearing women preach or who had more powerful and confident women role models early in your life than I did may get a little uneasy when you hear the content of Mary's song. You may not be quite sure how to take it once she receives Elizabeth's blessing and has the courage to sing that God has scattered the proud, brought down the powerful from their thrones, and sent the rich away empty. Because this text isn't just surprising in that it depicts two women being the first to share their understanding of the incarnation. More than that, Mary's prophetic proclamation challenges our understanding of what the incarnation is going to mean. Mary sings that God's activity, simultaneously in her life and in the universe, privileges those who are not privileged by society. Mary tells us that God shows preferential treatment to those people we are perhaps most likely to ignore and exclude. Through so much of history, the people who have had the power to interpret the Bible and have therefore claimed themselves to be reflected by it have tended to be straight, cisgender, wealthy European men. And especially when we read stories like this, 
When we recognize the power of the women of the Bible, it seems amazing and terrible to think that in 2,000 years of its existence, the institutional church has only authorized women to preach for about 50 years. And in some traditions, it still doesn't. Although our tradition has managed to right this historic wrong, it still excludes other people whom God has gifted for leadership out of the same place of fear and misunderstanding that caused it to exclude women. But this does not mean that women and others whom the church has suppressed have not been doing God's work and preaching God's word. Women and other marginalized people have always been preachers and prophets, and Mary is a prime example. And just as Mary and Elizabeth did when social structures don't allow these people to share their God-given gifts publicly, they form communities where they can do so covertly and subversively. In medieval convents and in 20th century congregational women's groups and on the internet today, communities form and God's word is preached. Acts of resistance that follow Mary's faithful revolutionary example. These women throughout history knew that the powerful men who kept them out of formal leadership are not the only ones reflected by the biblical text. Like Mary and Elizabeth, they support and uplift one another. Indeed, both Mary's experience and her song are prime places where their experiences are reflected. And for them, and for anyone whom church history has not validated or taken seriously, there is power in the way that Mary claims her own worth, her own identity, as a person for whom God has done great things. For anyone who has been marginalized by the church, whether because of gender, or because of race, or sexuality, or disability, or poverty, or any other identity marker, the good news that God's love and mercy are not only for them, but indeed especially for them, and that they always have been, no matter the lies the church has told them, is incredibly powerful. Because, as Mary knew, the church is not God. God chose this multiply marginalized woman to do an unbelievable task, literally giving birth to a whole new way of being, and no men and no institution could take that away from her. Those who are privileged by society and by church history, then, are in turn challenged by Mary's song to find our neighbors who have been marginalized reflected in the text. People like Mary, an unmarried, pregnant, brown, Jewish teenager. People whose poverty or whose sexual history or whose ethnicity or whose gender or whose age have prevented them from being the power brokers of society, prevented them from being the ones who have the authority to say whom God does and does not uplift. And it also allows us the opportunity to take on the role of Elizabeth to comfort and bless these people, to step aside so that they might have space to share their understanding of what God is up to, to allow ourselves to be challenged by those understandings and to contemplate the implications they might have, to listen attentively and learn from the particularity of their experience, 
and to celebrate with them. When young women repost each other's memes about Mary the prophet, Mary the radical, Mary the revolutionary, we can sometimes become an echo chamber. But when people who don't share the same marginalized identities, whatever those identities might be, greet, welcome, bless, and encourage us, when others join our song and celebrate with us, as Elizabeth did, our collective prophetic witness becomes that much stronger. So no matter which of those categories you find yourself in today, blessed are you. Blessed are you in the fullness of your identity. Blessed are you when other people doubt your experiences. Blessed are you when people don't take you seriously. Blessed are you when you are shamed by those around you. Blessed are you when you are not valued or validated by the institutional church. Blessed are you when God takes you on a wild and unexpected adventure. And blessed are you when you create a safe space for someone else who is experiencing any of those things, and when you bless them. <laughs>